Welcome to the Durable DevOps podcast powered by M3, the podcast about invincible IT built for the speed of change. I'm your host, Connor Dellenbank, and I'm joined today by guest Lee Zhang, head of developer experience at Bloomberg. Hello, Lee. How are you today? Hi, good. How are you? I'm great, thank you. It's uh, it's Friday. The weather is beautiful here in New York, and uh, yeah, we're nearly at the weekend. So I think uh, today's got to be described as a good day. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. You're, you're welcome. I'm I'm, uh, I'm glad to have you here today. So if you could, uh, you know, give a bit of an intro, um, you know, explain who you are, what your background is, and, and what you do now. I, you know, I'd love to share that with uh, with our listeners. Sure. So um, my name is Lei Zhang, and uh, uh, I joined Bloomberg back in 2007 as a software engineer. Most of my career in Bloomberg has been uh, focused on building software for financial applications, such as fixed income, uh, derivatives, modeling, analytics, risk assessment, things like that. Uh, about three years ago, I moved to software infrastructure department to lead the effort of our develop experience. We call it DevX internally. So I'm going to use DevX um, quite a bit in, um, in the conversation. So our team is all about being a multiplier for um, really engineering productivity and quality across our global um, department of more than 6,000 engineers. We provide solutions across the whole SDLC cycles and beyond. Great. That's, uh, I can only imagine uh, the challenges, 6,000 uh, developers and uh, trying to get things to move faster, higher quality, more speed. I can, I've got many questions that are going to come up about how you guys are doing that and, and uh, what, what needs to be done. Sure. And, uh, and so, so Lee, um, you know, moving down this journey, you know, you started off a uh, software engineer and you, you know, you've been with, with Bloomberg for some time. Um, what were some of the things, what, you know, step-by-step step kind of what got you to the point now where, you know, you're running this, this part of the organization, you know, you're, you're heading it up or spearheading it. What do you feel sort of you did that got you to, to where you are today? That, that's a very interesting uh, question. So when I joined, I had a lot of uh, passion. I had a lot of uh, interest in uh, financial domain, right? As you can imagine, many, many developers joined Bloomberg because of the interest in domain area. So that's why I spent um, a few years in different kind of financial applications. Um, but deep down, I'm an engineer. I'm a developer, right? So one thing I, I kind of observe over the years is, and I can't really emphasize enough, how important developer experience and productivity are for for really any organization, right? So they lead towards you know, quicker product releases, um, better user support, great team morale, especially in the leadership role. Uh, you kind of want your team to focus on developing values uh, instead of you know, kind of like spending a lot of time to struggle with the tools. Um, so, so that's why that got me uh, very excited to, to, to to move to the area, which you know, I didn't really have a lot of uh, expertise, but I, I think that's a huge factor for success for the whole organization. Um, as you mentioned, there's a lot of unique challenge in Bloomberg as well. Uh, so that, that makes my job more exciting, right? So I, I don't know how familiar you are. I don't know how, um, how familiar your audience are with Bloomberg, but we're not like, you know, typically when, when you hear about Bloomberg, you would just think about solution provider for uh, financial professionals, right? Um, 
actually we provide ecosystem and, and stretch far beyond financial applications. We have teams, for example, specializing in communication tools uh, like our email system and our instant Bloomberg chat system. We have vertical teams who offer web products. We have data science teams to you know, run machine learning models on a huge scale. Right? Um, on the same time, we also have unique needs of uh, being in the financial industry because we have to handle like a very high volume of market information um, like with very low latency and in a very consistent fashion, right? So all those factors put in together, making the developer, like DevX job, very challenging, but also very exciting. How do we do a good job to enable our developers to really, um, you know, become, as I said, become multipliers so that they can really do their job um, smoothly. So Lee, I understand what your developer experience um, entails, but you know, a question that you, you could probably answer in a good way is, you know, there's developers, they're clever, they know what they're doing, they're trained technologists uh, with plenty of experience. So why, why can't they um, do this themselves? You know, what's the need, where, where does the need come from that there has to be another team uh, to enable, to support things like that? What, what's the difference in these guys and, and what your team are doing already? This is a very good question. So um, one of our mission, our goal is, is indeed to be an enabler, not like a blocker because we are a central team, we offer certain solutions and then our developers kind of have to use the solution we provide. No, we want to be enabler so that they can, uh, they can, they can, you know, uh, get their really focus on their energy in solving the problem they're interested at. Right. Um, at the same time, being an individual developer, let's say, you know, I'm, I'm working on some individual projects is very different from uh, working in a larger organization where a lot of coordination needs to happen. Um, for example, you know, um, CICD has been a very um, kind of like training topic over the years, many, many organizations adopt CICD. Now, what is CICD? Does that mean like, you know, when you adopt a, you know, using tools like Jenkins and you magically have a CICD process? Not really, right? So one example I want to give you is like when you have a large organization where typically you will have more dependencies and in the integration become a multi-layer problem, right? To start with, you might want to do integration within your team. You will say, hey, in order for, you know, for my CI to work, I have some dependencies with some sister team's code. I need to integrate that into my executables. That's the team level integration. But sometimes you would offer a library or service for the whole organization to consume. How do you offer that? How do you provide a firm-wide integration mechanism? Uh, especially in some languages like C++, um, the, the ABI compatibility um, can be a very tricky problem. So we want to, to make sure there's a firm level consistency so that our developers don't caught into surprise to say, oh, my, my stuff work here, but why doesn't really work once, I, once my code integrate with other people's code? So that's where we add value, right? On the same time, um, I tend to think any tools, there's a learning curve. Um, if you look at our, you know, the whole engineering body, there's a whole spectrum of familiarity from using different tools, right? Um, I, I don't think it's, it's reasonable to assume every team would have the skill set to handle, let's say, set up their own Kubernetes clusters, right? So we, we're trying to abstract certain, certain things away by providing, let's say, a platform or service solution so that um, the teams can, can work with some declar declarative 
uh, schemas to do their job instead of understanding all the uh, technical details of, of those solutions. Yeah, so, so really, really what it is, when we're looking at the, the size of, uh, of the engineering teams, it's important that some teams have a dedicated focus on a uh, specific business related task. Uh, which could be, you know, build these applications, the, can, the, can, the customer needs them for this reason. And your team's dedicated task is really to make sure that everybody else moves quickly, has the tooling they need to do that, uh, and, and the training they need as well. So sort of sometimes enabling or facilitating their learning so that they can catch up and sort of stay with the higher performing teams in the company. Yeah, maybe, maybe I can give you a concrete example. So that's some, you know, I don't think the problem all the organization will, will need to deal with. For example, there is something called uh, time zone data, right? So um, in finance, one of the most important calculation is we call day count fractions. Essentially, how many days between those dates, right? Uh, it appeared to be simple. It's not that simple because there are calendars, there's different conventions, et cetera, et cetera, right? Now, in our context, as I mentioned, we are in this unique business and we want things to be consistent. Between different applications, you need to use the same daycon conventions and calculations, things like that. So how do we roll out, let's say there's um, time zone data change somehow. How do we make sure all our applications consume that change consistently across the board? Right, so that, that, that's a challenge, like you know, the high level requirements on being consistent. Um, kind of impose some challenges to make sure the DevX solutions enable our teams to be able to move um, consistently when, when you have you know, a um, situation like that. Okay, yeah, so there's, there are specific scenarios where the DevX team um, can really step in and, and provide this value and, and see the difference in, in what they're doing as well. Right, so essentially we want to be able to enable teams to deploy their software as continuous as much as possible. But at the same time, we also want to make sure there's firm-wide consistency on some very low-level infrastructure packages that get to deployed across the whole data center consistently, right? So there's multi, there are different dimensions of requirements, and we have to meet all those different requirements. Yeah, I understand that. So it's it's there, you know on the, the bottom end, we could say you know there's there's sort of certain level just infrastructure tooling, making sure things are in place so people can just um, you know continue to to utilize it and do their work as standard. And on the higher level, it's kind of uh, fine tuning and, and, uh, and getting things to the next step as well. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, for, so something like developer experience, it ties in very closely to kind of these you know, DevOps practices to you know, the, some of the more modern uh, tooling practices and, and ways we work in companies, you know, things like CICD, things like shared, account um, shared accountability, um, spreading the responsibility for everyone to learn and to move forward, continuously learn. Like a lot of these things seem quite uh, normal in a, in a DevX team. So how long has this been around within Bloomberg? You know, was this something when you joined as a software engineer was just a normal uh, standard part of the company or is this a, a more modern and a newer initiative within the firm? It's an it's a evolvement process. Um, you know, DevX as a more official brand um, I think it was established about five years ago uh, in Bloomberg. However, way before that, um, you know, when, when I, for example, when I joined the company or when even, you know, 10 years before that maybe. So when anyone joined the company, we actually had a, a firm-wide CICD solution already, even before 
CICD was a terminology people using, right? Uh, now, when I, see, when I say CICD, you know, of course, there's a historical um, context and there's also limitation of the solutions. But essentially, uh, let me try to describe how that looked like, right? So you come in, uh, you, would, you would develop some code, um, you will check into a, a monorepo uh, back then, you know, have monorepo, and then there it will trigger a build process, continuously integrate your, your source into, into the whole um, 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 deployable. And then we have a fixed schedule uh, weekly deployment, and it just like train, it just moves out, right? Now, arguably, it is a continuous integration in the sense every time when I commit, when I check in, it gets integrated into um, the head or the trunk you know, uh, or release branch. And then there is a continuous deployment mechanism with a fixed schedule, right? So um, we, of course, we didn't call that team DevX. Uh, I, I think back then it's called build team or, um, you know, RoboCop team actually. So uh, we, we have a team firm-wide DevOps team handle, um, handle that workflow. Uh, you, I, I don't think back then there's a, you know, Dev, DevOps was a terminology people use either, right? So, so the concept, has been always there. Um, and then we, we kind of moved from this very mega uh, monolithic model to service-oriented architecture, right? So teams build services and, and essentially become like service mesh kind of thing. There's like, you know, service talk to each other, um, et cetera, et cetera. So things become a lot more, um, I would say, diversified. People do different things. There are some teams um, very quickly adopt um, a bit more modern tools around CICD. Um, our source code today is managed by um, GitHub Enterprise, for example. And then, you know, there's different um, CI tools people using like Jenkins, like TeamCity, different teams set up different things, right? So as you can imagine, we would have team-wide DevOps teams or DevX teams help their teams to establish the, the CI/CD pipeline, right? Now, one of the challenges would be because everyone's moving in that direction, there's lack of familiarity, right? So because we're one big organization, we encourage mobility. We want to encourage people to try different things from time to time. And what, what ends up happening is, you know, let's say I work in one team for a while, when I move to a different team, it, it will take me some non-trivial time to figure out how the other team does CICD processes, et cetera, right? So the other, the other challenge we're facing is, naturally, you will see a different maturity level in the SDOC process. There's different level of adoption, right? They, you know, frankly, there are teams who probably don't do CI-CD process. They will just relink their stuff once a while or whenever uh, they have to run some features, they, they rebuild the software, then re, they, they redeploy their software, right? So you'll see a very kind of wide spectrum of how different teams do certain things. And this is actually one of our strategies uh, in my team is we call it a razor baseline. We want to shrink that, that spectrum. We want things to be slightly more consistent. We want to have the baseline to be um, you know, more mature, um, even if teams didn't have priority to focus on a couple of things, can, can catch up and leverage off-the-shelf solutions from our team so that they don't have to invest heavily to, to get there. So there, there's there's a spectrum. There, there always is. You know, there, there's people who you know the, the teams that are, are less mature. So I suppose first, first question. I mean, I ask about the, the maybe the lower performers in a minute. But what, what does good look like? What what is a mature team um, based on what you see at Bloomberg? I think a mature team can um, can demonstrate in different ways because different teams. 
um, let me put this one. I think the business nature of different teams can be different, right? For example, um, there are teams who fully embrace microservices, fully embrace continuous integration deployment. They, you know, every single, um, um, you know, they're trying to have very small commits and then every small feature change get to deployed very quickly. And then so that um, you will see the turnaround time, let's say lead time or, or time, uh, the, the deployment frequency is very high, right? All their you know, applications is 12 fact apps, um, loosely coupled, um, you know, it, it's very kind of like modern and very, um, very mature, right? But on the same time, another mature team could be their deployment frequency is that is is not that high because their 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 um, kind of the the business of nature is like require very high stability and, and reliability. The maturity of that system might appear to be have very thorough test cases, have very clear SOA uh, with regard to features as well as as performance um, things like that, right? So so you will see um, a very thorough you know, uh, test coverage, for example, very uh, deep like code analysis mechanism, things like that. That's another way of being like, a mature in the SDLC process. Yeah, so, so they may have lower deployments and so that, that not being the, the only thing they need to track, but you know, from that side, their, their testing is higher quality. So things like change failure rate would be, uh, you know, they'd, they'd have a lot more success rather than actually having uh, failures coming up more or, or the, uh, the their their actual um, site being down or their plat their uh, their product not being uh, consumable at all times so it sounds to me like there's two different ways you can really be classed as high performing it's either that speed with quality or just pure high quality but you don't need to be faster because your your uh, specific um, case isn't needed in the, in that same instance right in in a different language i, I tend to think a very mature team um, typically has a very deep understanding of the trade-off they have to make. Because in, in my mind, engineering is all about trade-off, right? So, you know, there's ideal situation, sure, but oftentimes you kind of have to trade trade off certain things for other things. I think a, a very mature team is have a deep understanding of their business requirements, of their technology requirements, of the things that, that matter the most for them and make good decision of what they want to focus more with regard to SDLC process. And also a mature team usually reflect, um, review their process once a while to see whether things been changing, whether if there's certain things, you know, uh, assumptions was not really accurate, they can, they can improve upon. I, I tend to think all the, um, you know, I, I don't want to use the like high performing team, but all the mature team who really care about their um, productivity and quality, they tend to have those habits. I imagine these mature teams, it would be more them knocking on your door rather than you having to knock on theirs in the sense of, you know, they, they come to you and say, we want this, or we want to check because they're very aware of their, um, their maturity in the SDLC and they probably need things from you rather than you having to go to them and say, hey, let's pull you forward. You know, maybe you're lagging a little bit. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, absolutely. I think there's, uh, it's interesting you mentioned this. I think there are three flavors maybe in this type of interactions, right? The first one is, as I said, we want to be enablers, we don't want to be blockers, right? So we want to enable them to be able to uh, even become more mature. The second thing is the learning process. So um, oftentimes they can teach us on, you know, even if we, we consider ourselves as 
uh, domain experts in this area. But oftentimes, when we when we you know engage and have partnership with those teams, we often learn quite a bit of some of the um, unique requirements from those teams, and then how we can think about um, you know uh, adopt similar things, and then be able to um, be able to carry that into our mainframe solutions right so the last flavor is oftentimes it's a very deep partnership because you know whenever we deal with um adoption of new tools or new platforms we all often want to avoid chasm right so the, the early adopters get it done and then the, the mass majority like struggle to get there so we partner with those teams um so that they can help us to 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 increase our bandwidth to do like for example training documentation uh workshops things like that so that the best practices can be adopted by more teams. Fantastic. Yeah. So it's a, it's very much a, you know, mutual um, synergy between all of you, right? So you're, you're learning from them and also it's, a, it's more scalable because you can then ask those teams to actually share their knowledge, stand up and, and, uh, and help with um, elevating those around them as well. So it's not just that you and your, the people surrounding you have to do all of this, uh, you know, sort of the hard graft in, in bringing everyone to the same level. Absolutely. Uh, um, you know, of course, once well, sometimes we will, all, you know, sometimes we could end up in a situation where the solutions aren't really compatible, right? Then it will require some brainstorm sessions and to see maybe there's some context there or maybe some other organizational requirements those teams are not familiar with. Like regardless, I, I tend to think those conversations, those engagement are very, very useful. Okay. Uh, and so that's the, the more mature teams. So if we look at those that are, that are less mature, um, what are some of so two two things really? What are some of the obstructions that are in their way preventing them from being a more mature team? And also, like on a deeper level, kind of what are the root causes that you're seeing time and time again? So maybe there's certain things that repeat, and it could be maybe the the kind of products or platforms the team works with. It could be their history as a team. It could be team culture. But what are some of those like root causes? Uh, that are preventing certain teams from being these more mature, um, you know, folks or types of organizations. Right. So, so some of my observation, uh, one is that, um, as I mentioned, you know, different teams has kind of like unique situation. For example, let's say, uh, you know, another unique thing in finance, financial markets, like sometimes you will have very hard timeline. Um, for example, um, a couple of years ago, we had this MIFID uh, regulation requirements, right? When those requirements come in, uh, we kind of have to shift our priority to make sure we've got to deliver things before that timeline, right? So whenever there's such a priority shift, I tend to see um, some of the, combined with you know, some of the legacy assets, historical team, different teams might inherit from. So, so, so with those, constraints sometimes the SDOC maturity can drop a little bit or appear to be paid less attention uh, towards right so that's that's one one thing I, I you know sometimes I observe um, the other thing I observed uh, is that it's kind of awareness so even if some team kind of like want to improve their maturity but oftentimes um, you know maybe don't know where to start Right, so I think there's a bit of like lack of awareness of how things can be done in different ways. Um, as I mentioned, one of our strategies was around race the baseline. So 
it, it, such challenges actually fit nicely into into the strategy of raise the baseline. We, you know, the key thing is really we want to engage them, with them. We want to partner with them to share with different teams. Hey, there are certain things we can do, right? For the teams who kind of know what they want to do and have the skill set, but lack of bandwidth or uh, priority because of different priorities, we also partner with them to you know trying to uh, either solve problem together or we trying to um, uh, kind of like really part together and trying to convince the, 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 the business sponsors to maybe allocate more, more resources so that um, we, we do not sacrifice the software quality just because we have business features that we want to deliver over the night, right? So do we, do, we, you know, do we still do this type of things once in a while? Yes, but at least you know, my, my personal bias here is that there are situations that you know, we were just to get things done for a huge impact. Um, but as an engineer, um, as a mature engineer organization, we should always allocate time and effort to kind of like reflect what kind of corners we cut during the process and then how we can, um, when we have more time, how we can uh, improve those, those things and hopefully the, the system can remain to be a, a very mature system. So, so really something I'm picking up here is that there's a, a very uh, high importance in that reflection and, and self-analysis between teams. Uh, you know, okay, maybe we did um, execute our task on time and we hit our, our deliverables, but what corners did we cut there? You know, what could we have done better? Uh, you, you know, this time round it worked, but if we continue this way, we won't you know, be able to move as fast or at the same quality level we're doing at the moment. Uh, software sustainability is a very important factor in, in at least in our company. That, that's great. I think that's something that, that, that hopefully people who are listening will take on board because there is a, you know, that that's a combination. You know, there's there's good quality, um, you know, forward thinking that you know certain leaders obviously allow the time, you know, to to reflect because if the time isn't there, uh, you know, there's forever you're going to be having to hit deliverables. Then that that's usually one of the biggest obstructions I see. It's it's. We just don't have the time. You know, we, we're, we're short on resources. We're short on on. Uh, we've got so much technical debt to to get through, uh, and we've got these new cases we need to start working on. So I think time is very important, and then balancing that time in the right way by prioritizing um, very efficiently. That's really um, kind of a key piece that I see. Yeah. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention is part of the raise the baseline initiative is also we're trying to identify opportunities where, where for example, a central team can bring a huge impact without everyone spend tremendous amount of time to chop away their legacy tech debt, right? So one of the, give you a concrete example, one of the projects we're doing is called uh, firm-wide code analysis and refactoring. So over the years, there are common code patterns that we want to move away. Now, there's a simple strategy that says, you know, this is bad coding practice. Everyone go just change their code, right? You know what? As I described, with the spectrum of how how fast and how slow team can go, uh, it tend you know historically tend to be a very long process and then can drag you know energies and 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 um, uh, and the impact morale as well, right? So what we're trying to do is, if certain code pattern are simple enough, that doesn't really require developer to to spend time to um, to look into. For example, you know, we introduce feature flags, right? Um, feature flags have a life cycle, and many feature flags can be removed once it hits certain 
status, right? So what we want to do, we want to look into this code, do some analysis, and then be able to route you know, firm-wide bulk pull requests to change this code so that developers don't have to spend a lot of time to chop away those tech debt, right? So one is, yes, we're trying to allocate more time for our developers to, to, to kind of like, you know, um, improve the system, but on the same time, we're trying to be smart. We're trying to say, hey, there are work that will require people to put energy on, but there are work we can just do it automatically, right? So this is like one of the things my team trying to bring value is because we have visibility of the you know, firm-wide code base and there are certain things we can do to, to help uh, enable that productivity. Okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. So yeah, there's, there's, it's not always that you need to even have uh, those specific teams focusing on this when it could just be done at a much larger scale using some more automation and also some of the expertise that you've had doing this before as well. Exactly. And <coughs> sorry. <coughs> um, so when it comes to, you know, we, we obviously discussed more mature, less mature, uh, you know, doing things the right way. Um, how do you actually track uh, productivity uh, you know are there certain metrics and measurements that you know as a whole you're looking at or is it just kind of on a team by team basis you, you take it take it and figure it out as it goes this is an interesting one uh, we don't explicitly track productivity um, I think it's debatable as I mean personally I don't believe there is objective measurement of productivity right um, however, we are deeply interested in understanding where our developers can be blocked, where are the choking points in the process, uh, what could be moral killers, right? So we're very interested in, in this type of things. So, in, in, so instead, we have an, you know, we call insights uh, strategy, where, where we, you know, we adopt both qualitative approach and, you know, some quantitative methods, right? For example, um, we we uh, launch surveys every quarter. Uh, we survey a quarter of whole engineering body every, every survey. So, you know, every developer gets survey once a year kind of thing, right? So, so as the, as the quality, qualitative approach, with a goal to get a sense of um, how satisfied our developers are with the tooling, um, do we see some patterns between uh, you know, adoption with, with, with certain tools will actually enable developers, will, will make our developers become more satisfied, right? You know, for example, uh, from the recent surveys, we find our users on the new local development platform, our laptops, you know, with local dev tools, report a higher satisfaction level than our users who are on more, more the legacy remote development platform. Right. So, so this is like kind of what we measure um, as as insights. Not really trying to measure productivities because, you know, um, because I, I forgot where I saw this. But like when the measurement become a target, it, it just not it's not a good measurement anymore, right? Because you know people tend to say, hey, this target. Let me game the system to 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 meet that target. Um, of we on the uh, on the quantitative side things we 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 do measure things such like lead time, um, deployment frequencies, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But as I said, you know, if if we look at deployment frequency as a matrix, it doesn't reflect the whole story, right? A team who deploy faster doesn't doesn't necessarily mean the team is more mature than the team who who deploy 
less frequently. There, there are more things involved. So one, we want to look at that more holistically, uh, you know, and try not to measure productivity because I, you know, personally, I don't think it's very measurable, but rather to, to you know, to feel um, from tooling perspective, from, from kind of like, you know, um, uh, moral perspective, what can be done, what can be more improved, what can be further improved. Yeah, that, this, uh, this has interested me quite a lot, actually, because I, I know there are different teams who, who look at things in, in, in other ways in terms of, uh, you know, speaking with people like Stig Sorensen and kind of the, you know, the SRE angle, the observability, telemetry, uh, very much kind of like measurement and get not just maybe their team only doing the measurement, but giving ways for other uh, leaders or team members to kind of see and clearly measure what they want to and what they feel relevant. But the, the point here is developer experience is actually focusing on the experience. You know, it, it, it's also got kind of emotion involved. It's how do you feel? Are you, do you like what we're doing? Is it working for you? Uh, that's kind of what I'm taking here. It's kind of not just clear, clear cut every time. It's sometimes it's, it is the morale aspect. It's the cultural aspect. Can we make this experience better for you by helping with tooling, by helping you learn, by facilitating your, your, uh, your movements? Yeah, so um, I, I tend to think, that, you know, I think you described very well here. It's a little bit different, I would say, different level of, of measurement. So so we are very keen to, of course, collect system metrics, right? So you, you mentioned uh, Stig's team. Uh, there's a lot of telemetry. Um, we, we leverage, uh, you know, his team system quite a bit, um, mostly around tooling usage, right? For example, how many times people use this tool and how many times there are error reported from those tools. So those are not really measuring productivity. It's not measuring developer activities. Those are measuring tooling adoptions or measuring system stability and system behaviors. So having metrics around system behavior, I think is a very sensible thing to do because they, are, they, are, they tend to be very objective, right? Um, you know, like footprints and memory consumptions and you know, system metrics, information like that. Um, is, is definitely something we also invest on. We partner with Stix team a lot to make sure um, you know, our toolings are being, are being used uh, in a reasonable way. Okay. But as uh, I said, there are different level metrics. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, there, there's a different level to them. They're being used in a different way as well. But that, that's what the interesting part was, you know, how they are at different levels. Um, and, and we've mentioned tooling a few times and, you know, you've discussed some of the, the sort of more commonly known tools, uh, but I also am aware that, you know, when you say uh, Jenkins, when you say Travis and CircleCI and, and other, other, maybe that was the CI examples, but there's actually a lot of proprietary tools. So you may have been mentioning them to kind of uh, give our audience, uh, you know, some relevant understanding of what they were. but. I'm aware that Bloomberg does have a decent number of proprietary tools. So the question here is, when and how do you decide it's time to build something proprietary versus kind of using something that's already just out there in the market? Um, whenever necessary. <laughs> but uh, joke aside, um, yes, Bloomberg has uh, some proprietary, I, was, I wouldn't say tools, but like proprietary software or tech, tech solutions. Um, they will credit or they are credited because of unique requirements uh, in our space, right? Um, in the DevX space, I tend to think we use a lot less um, proprietary tools. Even if we have some, you know, for example, uh, uh, let's say our existing or legacy build system um, is kind of like proprietary, but it's on top of make, right? So um, 
from the DevEx perspective, we, we really try our best not to reinvent the wheel. Um, you know, we, we mentioned GitHub Enterprise, we mentioned Jenkins, we use Kafka, we use Docker, we use Kubernetes. Like our, one of the, the solution we provide as a you know, past solution is based on Kubernetes, right? So, so um, at the same time, because I, you know, I tend to think in a developer um, tool perspective, um, it's a perfect area uh, to be in open space. I, I don't think we have unique needs. Um, very different from some of the business requirements because those requirements sometimes are very different uh, compared with, let's say, some technology, you know, other tech firms use, right? Because the, 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 the industry difference are there. Um, so with Dev, within DevEx, we, I don't think you know, we're, we're anywhere unique to develop proprietary tools. Uh, so one, one interesting, uh, oh, in challenge, we, you know, I kind of personally observed from the, from the, the toolings we use, especially some vendor-backed uh, tools, right, is that those tools tend to have the vision to be end-to-end, -to, -end, to be like, give you a whole life cycle of the whole software development, which is not very compatible with our use case. Right. What we want to uh, leverage our tools is if there are certain tools that does one thing, but, but does, does this one thing very well, so that we can uh, glue those tools together so that we can develop our end-to-end -end composable workflow platform. Right? There's a reason behind that, because if you are a small tech shop with all your code, let's use Java, right? you would have a language vertical um, of the whole pipeline and you would have off-shelf tools just to manage that. In our space, we have, as I mentioned, we have a lot of diversity in tech choices. We have teams using different languages. We have teams using different tools. I think that the one of the very good way for my team to provide value is we will give teams end-to-end -end workflow, but they're very composable. They're plug-inable in a sense, um, you know, off the shelf, you have a workflow. But let's say if you develop something in a different language, you would be able to fit into the same workflow by providing some component that's compatible with the, with the interface we offer, right? So, so only when we have those challenges, we tend to build platforms by ourselves. Um, but even, you know, the platform I described, it's called device in Bloomberg. It's on top of, um, you know, Kafka event, uh, Kafka's event bus, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we leverage those open source technologies, but we build solutions on top of that, right? Um, another example of how we do our software is, uh, as I mentioned, the firm-wide integration build is a very uh, challenging problem. So from day one, you know, we, we launched a new project. From day one, we, we, we develop in the open source space. The project's called BuildGrid. Um, all our team develop as an open source developer. Um, there's really nothing proprietary uh, in that project. With the hope that, that that project will solve our problem for the large scale uh, integration uh, build, you know, build orchestration problem. But on the same time, I believe there's many organizations out there um, have the similar challenge can benefit from our solutions. Yeah, and, and, and so it's, it's not just that the, uh, it's not just building a tool that directly replaces something that exists, um, you know, from, from another vendor or, or just open source. It's often it's ways of, uh, of connecting tools together, kind of, uh, you know, getting this, this almost a mesh of different ways that Bloomberg has specifically to use tool to tool so everyone can get what they need. Right, because, you know, I think the gluing layer is important because we do want to maintain the flexibility of changing our choice of tech. 
right? Yeah. So let's say one day we move from one tool to the other. We don't want the whole engineering to do tremendous amount of work to get it done. We want to be able to provide a reasonable level of abstraction so that those type of, you know, tech choice change can happen smoothly. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and, and so, Lee, uh, you know, you, you're you're a forward-thinking person. You know, you're you're a part of a very interesting team and interesting company. So, um, what are some of the interesting trends uh, that you see in the future for enterprise technology? What what might be coming next that you can uh, give us a head start on thinking about? Um, interesting, you know, question. So, um, we've been observing a lot of. Um, I do want to. Uh, emphasize on the open source software side of things, even if it, it, it might appear to be um, not a, you know, really a recent trend anymore. Um, I'm pretty sure all, all your audience, you know, participate in open source space, like here and there. It, it is interesting to observe that many of the enterprise tech firms are not embracing open source as much as I thought they should be. I, I tend to think, um, it will continue to be a trend. I tend to think more, more and more uh, tech firms, at least in the finance space, would see the value of participating in open source communities. And then, and, you know, um, you know what? Your problem is oftentimes is not that unique. And, and there's like a great community, community to support those use cases. I tend to think the trend will, will continue. Um, the other thing interesting to mention is I think there are more and more uh, specialization in the engineering community. So, you know, for example, low code or no code platform uh, is getting more tractions recently, right? Uh, it, it's not really applicable to Bloomberg because we're deep in the tech, in tech space. However, I tend to think even internally, I think there's more specialization uh, on the type of software different teams develop. Um, you know, let's say we have C++ developers out there. Um, imagine everyone to be a CMIC expert is probably not going to be very realistic in the future. I, I, I tend to think there will be some um, specialty in understanding the build system, and there's some specialty in, in understanding the language, and, and then at the same time there's specialty in using the tool, using the platform uh, to, 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 to develop the software in, in their domain space. Um, so similarly for, you know, I, I mentioned Kubernetes, right? I definitely don't think we want to have all our 6,000 developers to understand how to set up Kubernetes clusters. It just it's just not the most productive way to 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 run organi engineer organization. So I tend to think some of the uh, you know specialization, role definition. Um, SRE is a typical example where you you see people specialize in the reliability engineering uh, is focused on certain area. I think that trend will will continue, and you know uh, so that engineers have different interests, different passion can focus on the area they really feel uh, passionate about. I, I think that's very much aligned with the whole organization of productivity. Yeah, I, I'm actually seeing that you know, in other companies I'm, I'm speaking to and, and working with this, um, the, the certain specialization, not having everybody needing to become an expert in one specific tool or the way it sets up, uh, you know, have certain people allow them to be the specialist and have other people just leveraging the tool, but you know, the kind of the ins and outs of it, the deep dive isn't needed by every single person. Right, um, of course, on the same time, we want to be able to, um, you know, provide enough transparency. If someone somehow uh, are interested in those tools, there's a reasonable way to dig into. And, you know, actually more importantly, whenever there's error, 
you need to be able to troubleshoot very easily, right? So oftentimes, you know, when you see this type of encapsulation, it works great when it works. Then it becomes a, a challenge when it doesn't work, right? So we want to make sure our tools, uh, when we provide such abstraction, when we um, support those type of specialization, we want to have a good balance between visibility and abstraction. That's something, uh, it's kind of like we try, and, we try to find a sweet spot uh, as well. Okay, uh, that makes sense. So, Lee, we're, we're here at the end now of our, of our uh, episode. Um, I've obviously really enjoyed uh, talking with you, learning a bit more about developer experience, um, you know, a bit about your background at, at Bloomberg, what's interesting, what's not, and, and where you guys are going. Um, so, yes, yeah, so thank you so much for, for joining me today. Um, so, yeah, anything I guess you, you want to share before we go, or, or, or I guess, it, actually, sorry, before we do that, wh where can people find you, um, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, what, what, what are some of your places to, to be found or, or connected with on the, on the internet? First of all, thank you again for, for the opportunity. Um, I really enjoyed the, the conversation. Uh, my name is a very common name uh, in Chinese. So, uh, so when you, when you, you know, if anyone wants to reach out, um, search my name with Bloomberg, uh, and you probably can find me easily in LinkedIn. Um, I think LinkedIn is probably the best place to, to connect. Um, also, at the same time, uh, Tech at Bloomberg is, uh, is a, a blog that um, our company shares some of the tech, in, you know, tech ideas or, or, or um, updates. So I would encourage the audience to, to check that out as, as well. It's tech at Bloomberg.com. And there's one uh, post I, I published there a couple of years ago and reflects you know, quite a bit of things we talk about today as well. Great. So you can find Lee at Lee Zhang at Bloomberg via LinkedIn, or you can also look up Tech at Bloomberg. Um, and yeah, I'll obviously share via our normal, um, you know, Spotify, SoundCloud, and, and uh, Apple uh, links for everybody. And there'll be a link on the M3 site where you can, uh, you know, find a bit more about Lee as well. Uh, so, so thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. Um, for, for our listeners, we appreciate you uh, stopping by today. This has been the Durable DevOps podcast powered by M3 the podcast about invincible IT built for the speed of change. And I'm your host, Conor Dellenbank. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.